Our scripture this morning for our sermon comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Here it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. It's around this time of year, every Easter, it seems like, that you'll find going through the, the checkout line at HEB or Target, you'll find a magazine cover that reads something like, Reconstructing the Historical Jesus. Have you seen magazine covers like this before? I don't know if one's out this year. I just pulled some from recent years. The National Geographic one is from 2017. Um, and, and the idea behind all of these articles, and I've seen hands go up, so you've at least looked at them in the aisle, and, and they've piqued your curiosity, is that uh, the people that write these articles are generally Ivy League scholars who have a cursory overview of the Gospels, and pick and choose what they read, and they have an overload of education in the theories of secular humanism, and what they'll do is this, they'll say, um, surely we cannot know who the real Jesus is, and so we need to deconstruct him and put him back together so that we can understand who he is. Because the, the claims that he makes or the claims about him in the Bible that, that are made are just too grand, um, you know, miracles and, and virgin birth, resurrection. These things are just too incredible. We don't see them happen today. And so they couldn't have possibly happened in the first century A.D. So we need to find out who this guy really is. This is their premise that they come from. Uh, and and it, the, the theory usually goes like this. Jesus was a human just like anyone else, a good teacher, he was inspirational, and his message started as something that he never intended it for, for, to, to become today, Christianity. And his message began, and as it spread over time, hundreds of hundreds of years, and location as this message went out into the world, it became exaggerated to all of these um, uh, degrees where now you have uh, supernatural events. And over the course of a long time and over the course of space as this story spread, Jesus really wasn't trying to start a new revolution. He was trying to teach us how to be a better people. He was never intending for us to worship him as a god or god. Now, um, the interesting thing about that is that in Philippians chapter 2, we have a brilliant portion of scripture uh, that, that talks about who the real Jesus is. But before we get into that, and you just heard it, when we deconstruct Jesus like that, we, we actually allow ourselves to reconstruct him in our own minds. And there are just about as many beliefs about Jesus today as there are worldviews. I've maybe done this with you before, but there's the Republican Jesus who is against, um, who is against uh, activist judges and big government and is for family values and for guns. There's the Democrat Jesus who is anti-Wall Street and is against Walmart and is for uh, reducing our carbon footprint and printing of money. There's the boyfriend Jesus who wants to wrap his arms around you and sing about his intoxicating love. 
There's the there's the gentle Jesus who has high cheekbones, is six foot one, a white male. He looks German, and he uh, and and he walks around with a sash, barefoot. Um, there's Guru Jesus who helps you find your center, helps you find balance in your life. There's good example Jesus who teaches you to be a better person, who teaches this world to get together and, and get along with each other. Um, there's hippie Jesus who teaches us to just give peace a chance and to imagine a world without religion. And all you need is love. There's martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so that we can feel bad about ourselves all the time. There's platitude Jesus. He looks good on Christmas cards and Christmas specials and terrible sermons about believing in yourself. Um, There's spirituality Jesus who is against church and against religion and pastors and priests and doctrine and tells you that you'd rather be out in nature getting in touch with your inner God. There's revolutionary Jesus who says you need to stick it to the man. You need to, to go against the status quo. And then... My favorite, there's touchdown Jesus. He makes athletes run faster and jump higher. And he determines the outcome of Super Bowls. And, and he shows up when your team hits the winning shot. Michigan. Do you see how we const- when we deconstruct Jesus to the point that we can make him whatever that we want, we've lost and we've, we're going to lose uh, the, the very things and the very gifts that he gives us. And, and if we imagine for ourselves who Jesus is, and we deconstruct him, and we make him who we want him to be, you know, I wonder about those people on Palm Sunday. Why did they sour so quickly on Jesus within a couple of days? Was it because uh, they had grabbed a magazine from the marketplace? Was it because they got caught up in the crowd mentality? Or, or maybe... They had in their mind a different Jesus than the historical Jesus. So by the end of the week, they had left Jesus out to dry. Have you left Jesus out to dry because you reconstructed him? Have you lost him like those people on Palm Sunday? If you have, repent. There's grace and forgiveness and return to the life-giving water of his word in Philippians chapter 2, that Paul, in, in, in these brief, um, a hymn, or it's a poem, but it's beautiful, whatever it is, he, he constructs for us the real Jesus who really lived in this world and really gave up his life for you. And this passage that you heard is a... We say this every week as preachers, right? You can't miss this passage. This is the most impact. But really, this one, you can't miss. I promise you, this is a mountaintop amid all of scriptures of a few mountaintops. It's what we call in theological terms, uh, sedes doctrinae. It's one of the foundational passage or the seed of doctrine that explains so clearly um, our Christian faith in just a couple of words because it so clearly puts Jesus in the place in your life that he is and that he should be. Um, there's three things that we're going to look at um, in this sermon. The first one is that Jesus changes your mind. And this is the big point of this whole section. He even starts it out that way. He says, uh, let 
the mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. I think that's interesting because we like to reconstruct Jesus. We take him apart and put him back together for our own liking. But to know the historical Jesus, to know the real Jesus, doesn't mean that you reconstruct him. But to believe in him means you're sure of who he is and you allow him to reconstruct you. You see how that works? You don't reconstruct him, but to know him in the real historical context is he reconstructs you. You saw that throughout all of his ministry. When he changes the mind of people, people don't change him. And in the same way Paul is saying to these people in Philippi, he's saying, uh, Jesus, when you know him and believe in him and you know who he really is, and, and this section beautifully lays it out as a cornerstone of the Christian faith, he will change your mind and he will change your mind about how you live your life. It, it just has to, because once you see and believe in Jesus, you're going to see other people through his eyes, you're going to see your life through his eyes, and you're going to live like him amid other people. So, three things. Number one, he changes your mind about your future. Number two, he changes your mind, he changes your mind about your uh, rights. And finally, he changes your mind about the way that you love. So those are the three areas that we're going to go into. First of all, he changes your, you can go back a couple slides, we'll get there in a little bit. Um, future. He changes your mind about your future. So people that here today say, we can never know who Jesus really is. Um, the interesting part about this section is that Paul writes this within 20 years of Jesus' life. And some commentators will say that he's taken a hymn that has been used and written, and he's inserting it into this part of his uh, letter, and, he's, and this hymn has been sung by believers and followers of Jesus. And so the first thing that we have to keep in mind when we think about who the historical Jesus is, is that he wasn't reconstructed over hundreds of years, and all of a sudden the Jesus event became something like Jesus became a God because people started calling him that hundreds of years later. No, this section was written within 20 years of Jesus' life, and the very eyewitnesses and disciples and people who knew Jesus were still alive at this time when this hymn, these verses, were written. And what does these verses say? It says that God, in his fullness, in his glory, in everything that he was, decided to put his godness into humanity, into a person named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that God was fully God and God was fully man in the person of Jesus Christ. This is that foundational piece of the puzzle. And people didn't make this up over 300 years, over 200 years, or over 100 years. It was being proclaimed within 20 years. Probably less if this hymn was written before Paul. So people immediately recognized Jesus as God. If you were to say to me, that's impossible to believe, you can't be fully God and fully human... I say, I can't understand it either, but this is the way that people treated him, and this is the way that people reacted to him. Um, there's a famous argument uh, that C.S. Lewis has used in the past, too, um, in his writings. He says that uh, if you knew Jesus and you encountered him, w- really, when you encountered him as he walked on this earth, you would have had either three reactions. You would have been either uh, uh, hated him, you would have been terrorized by his, threat, by his word and his message, or you would have adored him. You would have bowed down and adored him. Now, people today say he's just a great teacher. You can take him, you can leave him, he's pretty neutral. But if you would have known him back then, you would have had a very adverse reaction to him or you would have had an adoration reaction to him. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was the Lord. 
And if he was a liar, a lunatic, and this is what we're getting to about our future. If he was a liar about what he did, and if he was a lunatic, if he was crazy, then he, we have no future. But if he's the Lord, just like people knew him back then, and just like we know him from scriptures and believe in our hearts, but if he's the Lord, then you have a future. Because a liar and a lunatic would just leave you hanging, but the Lord would be a God that came down, the supreme God that came down and lived in the flesh in your place. Because you and I were sinners, because we lusted, because we um, were greedy, because we had turned against God and said that we don't want a relationship with him, God in love says, I'm going to enter into your humanity fully, not part, partly or not changing, but fully into your humanity. I'm going to do the work that you can't do because you're a sinner. And so that when he died on the cross, he did it in a perfect sacrifice in a way that you and I never could do it. Only a Lord could do that. And when only God could do that in our place, he, he, he opens up. Do you remember what happened to the temple curtain? It ripped from top to bottom. And, and the signal was that now we have access with God. That you as a sinner, when you're bold enough, when you're courageous enough to recognize him as Jesus, you say, I am a sinner. I need grace. But you have to start at the cross. Do you see where Jesus goes in this? He goes from heaven to the servanthood of the cross. And it's right there at the cross that he gives you a future. Forgiving all of your sins, he gives you eternal life, and he glorifies you just as the son was raised from the dead and God glorified him through his resurrection. He, in the flesh, gives humans hope that our bodies will be raised again. Now, I know this is a lot of doctrine. This is, a, this is deep stuff. But the point is, we have a future, and our future is bright, so what are we doing Going around every day complaining. What are we doing um, maybe at work uh, with a sad, with a sad uh, demeanor on our face all the time? Or what are we doing complaining that God hasn't given us enough? Or, or maybe, maybe if, if I'm in school, I complain that, that the teachers aren't fair to me and I'm angry all the time. Why would I go around like that if I knew that my future was bright? I'm not telling you that as a Christian you need to put a smile on your face and you need to be Pollyanna all the time. But the truth is, is that when you know the true Jesus and you know that he's given you a future, shouldn't we be a little happier? Um, I think about Paul in Romans chapter 8. He says that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor anything else in all creation, anything else is going to make him sad. Because he has the love of God in Christ Jesus, his Lord. He's bulletproof! (laughs) And you know what happened to him? He didn't have a hangnail. He didn't have a bad day at school. He was getting stoned in every town that he went to. He was preaching the gospel and people wanted to put him in jail. And he walked around bulletproof. You're bulletproof! Because Jesus is God. And God came and lived in your place to give you a human being that is so weak in the flesh, a future starting at the cross. So repent, believe, you have a future, and you can walk around bulletproof. You can walk around with the hope that Paul says that nothing in all creation is going to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that's your demeanor. So you see how Jesus changes your mind? He changes your mind when you get to know who he really is, what he's really done, and he's put his mind in your mind. So that's the first thing. 
He changes your mind about your future. Number two, he changes your mind about your rights. Rights are a big thing. It's a hot-button issue today. You hear it all over the news. I deserve this. Um, I'm entitled to that. And we in America really like those words because we feel like we're entitled to everything that we can imagine or get our hands on. Um, but Jesus wasn't. And, and God, when he came into the human, when he came into humanity, he said, it's not about my rights. But he actually said, it's actually about having all the rights in the world, which he has as God, but becoming a servant. A powerful servant because this servant is equipped with everything to work for you. I've told this story in a couple of different settings. I don't know how recently I've told it here, but a couple of years ago I was at a diversity conference at uh, ACC, Austin Community College here in town, a two-day conference. I was paired up in a breakout group with a vice principal from a major school and um, two ACC professors and an ACC student. It was a breakout group. The people that sit across the table from you, they don't look like you. They don't have the same worldview as you necessarily, but uh, there's civil conversation that goes on at the table. Um, we were instructed by our conference leader to go out to lunch together so that we could really get to know each other. And we went out to lunch after the, uh, after the breakout session, and as we sat down and we got our food, we, and the first question came from, she was actually a, a woman that I admired quite a bit. She was a psychologist professor, and she was the director of a Social Crisis Center at ACC. Very intelligent woman. And uh, the first question out of her mouth when she found out I was a pastor was, so what does your church teach about the role of men and women? Thank you for that icebreaker. This is going to go great. And I prayed to God. I said, uh, God, be with me. And then I opened my mouth. The first thing I had to tell her was this. Before I talk to you about the role of men and women and what I personally believe, And what I teach at my church is, I need to tell you about Jesus. I believe what the Bible says is that Jesus was fully God. He had every right. He had every power. He he, he had all the rights. And yet, because he loved me, a sinner, he went to the cross and he became human. And as God, he died in my place. He became lower than the lowest. He didn't just wash the feet of his disciples. He went to the cross for them. He scraped the gum off of the shoes for me. And I'm like the lowest of the low. I'm a sinner. And if you want to just talk to my wife to confirm that, you can. But I am. And God did that for me. So when we talk about rights... And we talk about the rights that we heard in Ephesians chapter 2. I didn't bring up this passage, but I, it's in my mind when now. Next time I have this conversation, I brought up Ephesians chapter 5 where, where God says to men, Men, did you know that the greatest calling in your life, you may be physically bigger, stronger, but the greatest calling in your life is to use your power to serve. Not to domineer, but to love and gently care for the woman in your life. And that's what Christ has done for his church. And that's what men would do for lovely women. And as a result, this is in the conversation still, I've learned through my experience that women naturally respect men more when men love women. And I mean really love women by communicating with them, by respecting them for their mind, their body, and not demeaning them. Uh, 
everybody had stopped eating at that point. And she said, I've never heard it said that way before. (laughs) But that's the true Jesus, not a reconstructed Jesus. Not a Jesus that says that you should use your rights to only look out for yourself. Now, that's one area of life that's speaking to the men. How about the women in, in, in the room? You are the same way as you give respect to men. The men aren't perfect, but when you do this, you're showing the heart of Christ who gave up all of his rights. And women, you have all the rights. But it's not about the rights. It's about how you use them to serve. So this goes into different areas of our life. That's one area. The other areas are, uh, think about your rights, maybe if it's an ethnic right that you have, or maybe that you have more uh, influence at your work. How are you gonna, how's Jesus going to change your mind about how you treat the people that you, are, uh, that, that you employ? You're going to treat them like Jesus treated you. How are you going to treat those people in your family that you have influence over? You're going to treat them like Jesus treated you. Because you're not reconstructing him, he's reconstructing you. And he changes your mind about how you use your privileges, whether it's money, whether it's your privilege of time, your privilege, whatever it is, it's now his, and and his mind is yours because you're forgiven. So he changes our mind about our future. You're bulletproof. He changes your mind about your rights. Your rights are yours. And this this is the message of Christianity. You have all the rights God gives you all the rights. You're children of God. You're, you're, you, you're, you have eternal life, but you don't use that to, to, to dominate other people. You use that to serve other people, okay? So the final one, and we're closing down, uh, he, he, he gives us a future. He, get, he gives us a, a right view of our rights. And finally, he gives us um, a change of mind about our love. And this is where we look at the last part of this section, where it says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This last section is um, extremely comforting, but at the same time it is very disturbing. Comforting because the day is coming when Jesus, who is Lord over all, will come back and take us to be with him forever in heaven. This is the judgment day. And on that day, all of us who believe in him are going to bow in adoration and worship. And we're looking forward to that day. But at the same time, did you see that it says every knee should bow and every tongue confess? There are people in the world today, and maybe they're your neighbors, who don't acknowledge Jesus today. And they don't find themselves at the foot of the cross. And they don't, they've rejected grace Or maybe they've never even heard about grace, but they don't know Jesus. On that day, their knees are going to bow, and their tongue is going to confess Jesus as Lord, but not as their Savior, as their judge. That's why this is a terrible day. Keeping that in mind, God has given you a yardstick of time. The time on that we have here on this earth is very short, maybe 80 years if we have the strength, 90 Imagine uh, coming into our church for the first time. You've never been here before, and we have no signage. You're looking for the bathroom, and you're opening up doors. And you open up one door, and it's a broom closet. And you say, oh, broom closet, shut the door. And then you keep on looking for the bathroom. We're going to need to get better signage. But the point is, is that that door that you opened and that you closed in that one moment, that is like life on earth compared to eternity, that one moment with the broom closet. 
We've been given a yardstick of time on this earth. And so when you look at a neighbor or a friend who doesn't know Jesus, and you say to yourself, ah, I better not share Jesus, this is going to be awkward. Are you serious? It would be worse, I'm sorry to put it in this terms, but it would be like you discover the, um, the cure for cancer, and then you say, I'm not going to share this with anybody. I'm not going to. I'm going to keep it to myself. But when you know that Jesus is Lord over all, and you know that in the end every knee is going to bow, but some are going to bow without knowing Jesus as Lord, as Savior, and some are going to bow as, as the judge, you have to say, I have to share this cure. I have to go and serve this person. I have to love this person. And if it takes me going down on my knees and scraping the gum off of their shoes, doing the most unfun thing in my life, I will do that. You see how he changes your mind about love? He changes your mind about love because now I have eternity. I have it forever. I know about my future. I know about my rights. But I'm going to take them and I'm going to love with them. If that means saying I'm sorry, I'm going to say I'm sorry. Because I want them to bow in adoration on that day. If that means I'm going to go day by day to, to, to a job that, maybe it's not the most fulfilling job, but I'm going to put a smile on my face because I have a future and because I want people to know that I have a future and I want them to know Jesus, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to use my rights that way. I'm going to use my future that way to love this person. And this, my friends, are, is, is the, the only way to love a person. It is in the Christian worldview. It's the only way to love a person is to love them by sharing with them the hope that you have. Not just believing these words. And again, this is a cornerstone to the Christian faith. And it tells us so much about Jesus. And I've just scratched the surface about the doctrine. But it, it, it changes your mind like verse, like verse 5 says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He changes your mind about your future. He changes your mind about your rights. And he changes your mind about your love because you are loved and you are forgiven. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your Holy Spirit this morning coming to us in your means of grace. And thank you for opening our hearts to this message. Now, now be with us as we go and we live with your mind. We start at the cross where you change our mind about our sin. We repent and we believe in grace. Now help us to show that in all of the ways that we think, act, and live in our communities to bring many people to you. Help us to truly love with an authentic love, the love that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.